At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Howdy, dream cowboys. Welcome back to the Fan Driven Westworld Recap Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Westworld Season 1, Episode 5, Contrapasso, directed by Johnny Campbell, story by Lisa Joy and Dominic Mitchell, and teleplay by Lisa Joy. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. I think we talked about it a little bit last week, but do you remember what Contrapasso means? Yeah, Contrapasso is from Dante's Inferno. It's uh, it's one of the laws of nature that applies to hell, stating that for every sinner's crime, there must be an equal and fitting punishment. I do not know that off the top of my head. I am I'm reading straight from a Reddit post, but I was uh, prepared to answer your question, so I thought I'd, I just might. And what I pulled from that was like, it's basically... If you're a really big dick, eventually the karma train's going to come around. So I thought it had something to do with Logan, and I think uh, I think it did have something to do with Logan. In Dante's Inferno, whatever sin you committed, you get like some ironic punishment that's the opposite of that. I, I, it's been a while since high school. I don't really remember Dante's Inferno that well. But like, let's say you're a dude who liked to start fires. Maybe in hell, people would start fires on you. Something like that. Right. Like as you're dying, Alanis Morissette's ironic is playing, and you have to ask yourself: Is does she know it's not ironic? Is the fact that it's not ironic the ironic part? And then like you're dying in a fire because you're in Dante's Inferno, so on and so forth. You know, you're Logan getting beat up, and your friend doesn't save you. That's how that goes, I guess. <laughs> Anyway, thanks for joining us. Happy Halloween to everybody out there on podcast land. And we should also say happy birthday to Ryan, who had a birthday last week. Aw, thanks. How old are you now? 21, 22? I am 29 years old. We're old men now. There's no country for old men. Yes, there is. Let's jump right into it. This episode kicks off with Robert Ford again trying to drink with his old sheriff robot friend. He tries to tell a story about the time that his dog killed a cat, but the host doesn't really get it. He's just like, all right, let's drink to the lady with the white shoes. Yeah, he just kind of goes back to what he knows. He really doesn't even know what a dog is. He's like, have you, Hopkins is like, Do you, have you ever heard of a greyhound? And a cowboy is like, absolutely, whatever you said. The moral of the story that he's telling is basically, if you've seen The Dark Knight, He's like, well, the dog caught the cat. He doesn't know what he what to do with it. It's just like what the Joker said. He's like, I'm like a dog chasing a mailman. If I caught the truck, I don't even know what I'd do. And the guy is still like, totally, white shoes. <laughs> and Dr. Robert Ford's like, oh, God, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You're the worst talking to companion ever. I have no idea how Bernard even does this. We cut to Dolores standing in a graveyard, and she's hearing voices in her head, find me, show me how. Yeah, she's kind of like searching through the Matrix, having a conversation with her brain friend. Her brain friend is just like not on the side of human beings. Her brain friend is very much on the side of, you know, hey, Dolores, like you and me, dude, we're going to take everything down. And Dolores is like, neat. Logan, William, Dolores and the outlaw who they partnered up with last episode, Slim, are heading to the bandit town Pariah. Yeah, it's a hedonistic town where anything goes. They also say, the farther you get away from Sweetwater, the worse things can happen to you, I guess. Like, the, I guess the better things can happen to you, too. The spectrum of experiences gets wider. So, you can't die still, but you can get more hurt out this far. And you can also have, like, way bigger orgies than you could have in Sweetwater. That's basically the two ends of the spectrum that change. Imagine this place is basically Tortuga from Pirates of the Caribbean. And that's basically I, what it looks like when they get there. 
uh, if nothing else, I just love the word tortuga. Means tortoise. Oh, look at us. We're all learning. In a bit of exposition, Logan explains that the park has been in financial trouble for a little while now, and that their company has considered buying them out. He also mentions that the creator of the park is a total mystery to the public, and no one can find any information on him. He says that a lot of stuff in the park feels market-tested, uh, very much like the Men in Black said about uh, about some things in the park to Hector in the last week's episode when he was you know, stuck in the prison purposely. We get more exposition as to the fact that the, at least to, in Logan's eyes, and Logan's, the, the place where Logan works for, Westworld is hemorrhaging cash, and they're supposed to buy them out, and nobody knows who this, uh, we know, the audience knows it's Arnold, but, like, nobody knows who this Arnold guy is. But also from this conversation, like, do they not know who Dr. Robert Ford is either? I kind of gleaned that as well. In my mind, I imagined Dr. Robert Ford was like this world-famous Disney, Walt Disney-like character, but perhaps that's not the case. Yeah, and it also kind of speaks to maybe Arnold was the real creator. There was no Dr. Robert Ford. Arnold uploaded himself into Dr. Robert Ford, and and then in Dr. Robert Ford's a robot. Like that is it. It just feeds fire to that theory, which. There are so many fan theories to go around, and uh, that just feeds one more of them. Yeah, and we get a little bit more fuel for that fire later on in the episode. Right, and then before that as well, Dolores is prompted by William again. William is concerned if Dolores will be fine, and then Dolores says, did I do something wrong? And Dolores is basically saying, did I do something wrong? Every time she wants to act negligent, like under the guise that she knows nothing, but she is prying for information because she wants to know if that she wants to know if William is on to her, basically. She's testing William to see if he understands that she is kind of closer to sentience than anyone could pro- properly imagine. And then William was like, Hey, uh, heard you talking to someone. Who was it? And she was like, Oh, it's no one. But it totally wasn't no one. So that means she's just, like, talking out loud sometimes. She's like, oops, oh, sorry, sorry, I'm just talking to the my brain friends telling me to destroy the world. Ugh, God, I gotta, gotta stop doing that out loud. Logan points to some old men in Confederate officers' uniforms, and he identifies them as the Confederados, former Confederate soldiers who founded the town of Pariah and who are waging guerrilla warfare against the United States Army. Yeah, Dolores knows about them. She says, like, my father told me about them. They're ex-Confederates who refused to surrender after the war. And Logan says something like, like, this is the biggest game you can have. This is, like, it's kind of the quest where Logan's worked up to. The Man of Black has done all 200 of these quests. but Lo- And Logan has not done that many, but he's done a few because he's been here a few times. And he's sort of worked up to the war quest. And he says, this is the key to the game, the biggest game there is, war. So... Uh, if the man in black was there, he'd be like, the war quest, that's where you are? That's what you think is great now? Okay, buddy, I've done a lot more than that. But, you know, this is where Logan is, and he's psyched. And we finally get a little bit of insight as to what year it is. If it's the Spanish-American War that's happening, then it must be around the 1898, the turn of the, the 20th century, it seems. Yeah, and Jonah Nolan, in a interview this week... Or sometime. It was it was basically a video, and then someone posted on Reddit, like, he basically just said in this interview that this is definitely taking place in the 21st century. Or at least, like, the time frame of the show is definitely the 21st century. Okay, so we're still in the 21st century outside world, yeah. but the, the context of the park, it's sometime closer to the turn of the 20th century, the 1900s. Right, and we also might be on Mars, we don't even know. <laughs> The man in black and Lawrence are in the wilderness having just rescued Teddy. They encounter the little British boy from episode two, and the man in black sends him out to fetch water. Just as the little boy walks away, the man in black cuts Lawrence's throat and hangs him from a tree so that he can drain his blood into a water skin. And the entire audience went, Oh, you just took Lawrence from us? He better be back immediately, because he was one of our favorites. 
<laughs> the man in black asks Lars why he thinks he likes him. And Lawrence is just like, maybe just because of the way I talk to you. And the man in black says something I thought was cool, which was like, you know what? You're right. Nobody in the real world would talk to me the way you talk to me. Everybody treats me like I am a saintly God in the real world. And nobody t- just calls me on my bullshit. And you actually do, Lars. Me and you, that's why we're probably the best of friends. I mean, not in this instance. In this instance, I need the blood from your body to make Teddy Flood go again. So I do need to cut your throat. But you're a great guy. Okay, bye. Down in the lab, two techs, Felix, and then unnamed angry Beardo tech. I didn't catch his name, did you? No, I was sadly was just calling them redhead and Asian guy. Of course. I mean, that's it's stereotypical and racist, but as I was taking notes really, really quickly, I was like, oh my god, I gotta come up with names. Uh, he's Asian and he has red hair. God, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> they're kind of competing, they're racing to see who can repair their host first. They're working on Hector and Maeve, who got blown apart at the end of episode four. While in sleep mode, Maeve jerks her arm around and scares... Uh, Felix a little bit and then the other tech teases him about it yeah it's supposed to be a jump scare which worked I did jump and you know the and redhead still making fun of Asian guy really got to get their names let's get their names (laughs) Felix is the Asian guy Felix is Asian guy and also I was looking at IMDB today and there is a guy who is not Ed Harris, and he is written down for three episodes as the as Gunslinger. His name is Gunslinger. The guy's name who is actually playing his name is Eric Shackelford, which sounds like right out of the King of the Hill. But anyway... Yeah, there's no way that's a real know. name. It's an alias. No, it's not. It can't be a real name. Okay, so Felix and... God, what is this other guy's name? I'm just looking for bald people on IMDb. I'm not... He's not bald. He's got a receding hairline. Okay, well, this is a bummer. One guy's just but, credited um, as here. robot. What? Right? It's so good. <laughs> so let's call them Felix and Redhead. I think that's fine. Okay. I have no idea where we were in that discussion when we departed from that. We were at the jump scare where... Uh, Maeve's arm slightly moved, and the redhead uh, redhead made fun of Felix for, for jumping. But, you know, Felix is still very much afraid. He's scarred from that time where, you know, Maeve woke up, and he had to chase her throughout his work, and he might have been fired because Maeve got up, and that's just not good at all. And then he says, you know, that just happened. You know, redhead says, that just happened because you didn't put her in sleep mode. And then and then Felix was like, no, I swear to you, man, I did put her in sleep mode. And I think the audience in that moment says to themselves, yeah, she was in sleep mode. You know, she was just counting down from three to one. Her eyes open because she was outside of her dream. She has that verbal virus inside of her body. And uh, these two guys are just like making fun of each other for it. <laughs> it's the end of the world. Teddy wakes up and the men in black explains to him the hosts have changed over the years from being more simple mechanical androids to being more like fleshy cyborgs like the Terminator. The Men in Black tells him that Wyatt has kidnapped Dolores, which right away piques Teddy's interest, and he's like, okay, I'll join you. We gotta save Dolores from Wyatt. Yeah, Teddy Flood looks bad. Bad's the word I'd use. He puts Lawrence's blood inside him. The man in black does, that is. He puts Lawrence's blood inside Teddy. Makes him slightly better. So now we know that with blood transfusions, that's basically their energy. You can just make them better if you just put more blood in them. Even with how bad Teddy was, how bad Wyatt's men made him. And then, you know, Man in Black, he tells him he, was, he used to be beautiful. Basically, the Man in Black is complaining. He's like a fanboy complaining, like, that the New West World is not like the Old West World. It's like, in the Old West World, when the hands were different, that you could tell that you were definitely a robot. That one was way... Yul Brenner was a better gunslinger than me. You know, he might as well have been uh, <laughs> complaining about himself. And he says, you're more cost-effective. Your humanity is more cost-effective. Which was a cool line, I thought. But yeah, right as he tells her, uh, tells Teddy that Dolores was taken, Teddy's up and on his feet, man, like, okay, we gotta do that. And then little Hopkins comes back with the water, and he's like, oh, God, what have you guys been doing? 
Right, and without saying a word, he just kind of stares at Lawrence's upside-down, bleeding-out body. Right, why do you think Little Hopkins was even around there? That's a good point. He's just kind of wandering in the wilderness. He might be. Like, that could be Robert Ford remote-controlling a host to check out what's going on. Or it could be some kind of weird hive mind where, you know, a couple of the... The hosts, including the host that is Dr. Robert Ford, are all kind of connected in a shared mind and are looking around the park at all times. I mean, from what happens later in the episode, it kind of feels like Dr. Robert Ford knows exactly who the man in black is and is having him tailed by a little version of himself. Back in Pariah, Dolores is having crazy flashbacks again, and William snaps her out of it. They walk the streets and discuss their desire to change their lives and how Pariah is kind of like a symbol for people wanting to to change themselves. William slips up and uses the phrase, you know, in the real world, which perplexes oh, Dolores. Stop telling the robots they're robots. Logan wants to hit up the brothel because, you know, what else? It's Logan. Because he's Logan and that's his deal. William refuses saying, you know, I don't think... Dolores would enjoy the brothel that much, Logan, seeing as how she's an innocent farm girl. Logan gets upset, and he says, well, what do you care what Dolores thinks? She's just a doll. William shoots back like, hey, don't call her a doll. I think she understands more than we expect, and I think she's picking up on all this. these hints we're dropping, basically. He's right. He knows that she kind of gets it. He's calling it out, but he's not registering that in his brain as something that's bad. He's registering that as like, we have to be careful with her because I don't want to hurt her feelings. When he should probably be registering that as like, wait, she like knows what we're talking about. God, that's not good. Um, Dolores is having more and more flashbacks. In her flashbacks, people are getting shot in front of her, and then she comes back out of it. She talks about how she basically wants free will. She just told William right then and there that she wants free will. And he's like, that's neat. Um, and then William's like, I mean, that's why people come here, to be the versions of themselves that they think they can or or can't be. And Logan and William just will not stop saying that Dolores is a robot right in front of Dolores. There's what seems to be like a Day of the Dead parade procession going through town, and in it, Dolores spies herself walking through the parade. Yeah, so not only is she hearing voices, talking out loud to a voice that is talking to her inside her head, you know, kind of like that version of AI that Arnold was working on back in the day where it was God, except now it's just like a voice that we assume is Arnold. She gets lost inside of a parade that's really freaky, like that came out of nowhere. It kind of is, it felt like maybe the parade was purposeful to to section her off because then, bam, she's back and sitting with Dr. Robert Ford, naked, not like she is with Bernard with clothes on. She is nude with Dr. Robert Ford because he keeps her that way purposely. That's right. In the parade, someone speaks to her the magic words, which causes her to black out. And then she's nude in a glass tank with Dr. Robert Ford. Back home. He questions her about her dreams and asks her if she remembers, do you remember the man I used to be? Yeah, he asks her the cantrip questions. Do you know where you are? Yeah, I'm in a dream. Do you know what that dream means? And they're like, yeah, no, it doesn't mean anything. And then Dr. Robert Ford's like, no, Dolores, dreams mean everything. And Dolores, her face is like, that's not what you told me to say, so I don't know what you're talking about. Have you been dreaming again, Dolores? Are you going to run, basically? He's basically asking her, like, are you going to stay in your loop or not? And then he said, you know, Dr. Robert Ford says his father used to tell him that uh, you can never be satisfied with what's in the world. And the world owed him nothing. So in response, Dr. Robert Ford made his own world. Like, God, dude, pat yourself on the back a little more, why don't you? He then asks, I'm sure you remember Arnold. Dolores says no. He then reveals that the voices she's been hearing, that's Arnold's voice in her head. So he knows that she's hearing voices. He knows that she's going through something that 
if at the end goes uh, badly enough, will be another critical failure that ends the park for all time. He's aware that the worst thing happening in his life right now is Dolores going off the rails. And he's still just being like, your mind is a walled-off garden, Dolores. Have you been hearing the voices? And then she says no, which is a lie. He asks her when her last contact with Arnold was. And she states it somewhere around 34 years ago, which Ford understands as being the date that Arnold died. He asked her what Arnold's last words to her were, and she replies, he said that I'll help him destroy this place. Yeah, but then he follows that up with, but you didn't, didn't you? Like... So he knew that Arnold was like, hey, you and me, Dolores, let's let's blow this place up to smithereens. And then he failed. So Dr. Robert Ford in this instance is painting himself as like the guy standing over the rubble of Arnold and Dolores trying to ruin him. Then wiping Dolores clean, being like, you won't be trouble to me again. And then Ford goes, you know, you've been contempt in your little loop for the most part, I wonder. So in his head, he, I mean, not really, you know, she hasn't, you know, she hasn't been content in her loop. She's been trying to get out of it this whole time. And then he says, if you did take on that bigger role, would you be the hero or the villain? Which kind of feels like a rhetorical question, Dr. Robert Ford. I think you know the answer to that. He's kind of wrapping up the interview and he explains that he wanted to talk to her about this because no one has been around since the beginning like they have and no one would understand the situation as they do. He leaves her alone, and he shuts off the lights, and then as soon as she's alone, she speaks out loud. He doesn't know. I didn't tell him anything. So, assumably, talking to Arnold once more, uh, she's understanding that she just lied to Ford. She's also not just turning off when he leaves so she can be on whenever she wants, just like Maeve, apparently. That thing from the trailer happened, the, are we old friends? And he says, no, I wouldn't say, oh, friends Dolores, I wouldn't say that at all. Dolores knows 100% that she is tricking every single person she is talking to from now on and has felt that in her bones for a little while now. And she's doing it well. And she's, like, proud of herself for it. It's pretty cool. In the lab, Felix is attempting to revive a robot bird. The other tech kind of walks in on this, tries to pick up the bird, but gets bitten, which that, that, that shouldn't happen, right? Yeah, no, that shouldn't have happened. The Felix, it kind of feels like, is working with a technology that he doesn't fully understand. When Redhead comes in, he's like, hey, you know, maybe put that thing away, the thing that just bit me, you idiot. You're a butcher. That's all you're going to be, which I thought that was like, God, that's very, that's very mean. It's like he was his father. He's like, you're a farmer. You'll always be a farmer. Like, jeez, dude. Also, Uh, you're just a butcher, too. Like, maybe your head butcher, but that's just a butcher. Yeah, like, way to go on a power trip. And then right in the middle of this, a new body is wheeled in. And bam, it's Maeve again. And Felix is like, god damn it. It's always her freaking me out. So our trio of heroes, Dolores, Logan, and William, have a meeting with the bandit chief of Pariah, who... Uh, he gives his name, but I don't think I heard it correctly. I wrote down Alonzo. Yeah, I wrote down Elizo. In either case, it's Lars. I believe perhaps uh, the same exact character of Lars slash Lawrence, but like it felt like on another timeline, which, I God, I hate that. It felt like on another timeline, which with the timeline theories of this show are getting out of hand, and it's hard to keep track of any of them. But in any case, I think it is pretty cool that the character of Lawrence can get his throat cut, bled, and then moments later just be part of a whole other story, and a part of, like, on another version of the timeline of his story where he's, like, you know, as was described earlier, one of the biggest outlaws in the three regions or whatever the crap um and later in the episode he says my name's lawrence um if you're my friend you can call me lawrence so eliza alonzo whatever it's lars logan asked to be introduced to the confederados and at first lawrence refuses but dolores convinces him kind of connecting with him on some host level it seems like she's like oh i know what it's like to be a robot i can relate to you 
yeah, she is taking more responsibility. She's speaking up in times where she would have never done before. She basically talks Lars into working with them completely when everybody else failed. And Lars doesn't barely even know why. He's like, I, okay, I guess we'll do it. Gosh, you are. You, you're good at telling me to do things. Good job, I guess. Lawrence says that he can ingratiate them with the Confederados if they steal a bandwagon full of nitroglycerin from the American army and then try to sell it to them. And he gives Dolores his hat, which is a brown hat, not quite black. No, but it's close enough. And then, you know, this is a Logan-sized quest. This feels like it's like a level 20 quest, and that's where Logan is. While, like, you know... The Man of Black's level 200, Logan's level 20, and William's level 1, and William is on this level 20 quest. Dolores is, like, level 15. She's climbing slowly but surely. And Logan's like, yeah, man, nitroglycerin? That stuff explodes. We are in. The trio and Slim, the host that they had been bounty hunting previously, go together to find the bandwagon out on the prairie. They stick up the wagon old-fashioned outlaw style they all have bandanas covering their face and i love the, the quippy dialogue uh logan and william are improvising logan is tormenting one of the union soldiers who fights back and tackles him in a pretty violent way like this is getting hardcore now and a big melee fight ensues slim gets killed uh bye slim <laughs> no, nobody liked you <laughs> No, you're barely even Sideburns, Trevor, a.k.a. Rebus. We barely like you, Slim. You're just here to die, a lot like Teddy. William kills all the Union soldiers by himself, which uh, Logan really enjoys. He's really happy about that. Yeah, William 1v4s them, and Logan's so psyched that he finally did something of worth. They handed Dolores new clothes, like, here, Blondie, put on these cooler clothes. And I was like, are we going to get a montage? And then we didn't. She just, like, we got a big crane shot, I, I guess, to look at the the Confederate or the whomever's wagon going in a place. But we didn't get a montage. And then she, like, has a gun. She's, like, allowed to... She was burying a gun two episodes ago, but now she's just allowed to have one. Great. Uh, moving up in the world, Dolores. Wonderful. And then Dolores is, like, weirdly turned on. When, as Logan's like, "Woo, you did a great job, William. You can see Dolores is like, not either, I don't know, turned on or using her, the turned on face that she has to manipulate William in some way. I believe this is all a huge manipulation and, and William will be the reason for the downfall of the human people because he's manipulated it into it by Dolores. They deliver the nitroglycerin to Lawrence, who calls over the confederados, and they seem pretty pleased. They say they're going to use this as a bomb to kill U.S. soldiers at the Spanish-American War front. But Lawrence convinces them to stay one night before they go to do that and spend some time with his golden hookers. Yeah, his golden hookers who are completely naked, merkins and all. Uh, he was kind of reminded me of Littlefinger in this moment, being like, you guys just won. Want to just hang out with all of these hookers that you will pay me for, so I will double down on my money? That'd be pretty neat. And then they do it. <laughs> and then, like, I was sort of in this moment, because of what Logan was just kind of cool with William, and now they're back here. It's like, I kind of like Logan a little more than I used to. He was doing a better job of not being a dick. And then right when that hit, I was like, oh, something bad's going to happen. He's either going to die or something. I thought he was going to die based on the devil, devil, uh, or Dante's Inferno and the Contrapasso and the Karma and the so on and so forth. I thought Logan was going to die just because whenever I remember like watching anything that Aaron Sorkin writes, the moment you get to love somebody, you're like, oh, he's, they're going to be taken away from me. That's what's going to happen next. Down in the lab. Elsie's trying to fix a broken host who's having trouble pouring water into a glass. And, uh, whoa! Dong Watch 2016 counter moves to one. Number one, James. We got one dong down. And Halfway hopefully... into the show, though, one dong. I, mean, I, need to go. 
I know. One dong, not even at the end of the show. You'd assume it's the finale, perhaps the last shot. This guy can't pour a glass of water, but he sure has a dong. And then she's like kind of messing with him. She's she's uh kind of coming on to the large donged man who cannot pour water. She's like trying to get him out there because she says that he's very capable, assumably in the sack. But he cannot do that because, you know, he can't even have water. He doesn't even know how to pour things, idiot. Two texts come by with the stray host from episode three on a stretcher, which piques her interest, and she asks them where they're taking it. They reply that they're taking him to be decommissioned and then incinerated. And then she does something that only my favorite character would do, and that's decide, and I quote, fuck this, and she just follows it. That's right, she follows it to the... To, like, the lab where, like, the butcher techs work. Yeah, Felix and Redhead. They spy her coming in, and they're both kind of nervous. They're like, oh, shit, yeah, we're getting in trouble because you're a stupid bird. <laughs> Your bird that bit me is going to get us both fired. And then she doesn't go in and see uh, Felix and Redhead. She goes across the way uh, to another technician that we haven't met yet and immediately blackmails him for having sexual intercourse with robotic robot. This guy... The real winner. He's been banging the dead hosts when they come in for repairs. And she tells him, you know, they log all sexual activity even when they're in sleep mode. And you're a fucking weirdo. And he's like, I need this job. And she's like, yeah, that's pretty straightforward. We all kind of get that. Let me go see the woodcutter. This is how blackmail works. I wonder if you're an employee for Westworld, can you get like a free week? No, probably not. I mean, that's a ton of money, a free week in Westworld. I bet you could get a free days. The question is, can you get friends in? Be like, if I've worked at a, as a tech at Westworld, but you can come for a weekend. Like, that's half the reason people work at Disney, because they like it so much and can bring their friends for free. If you can't do that, then why would you even work there? Oh, right, 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 right. It's uh, Westworld, and it's just really dope. She's inspecting the woodcutter when she finds a blinking red light underneath one of his fingertips she traces it up his arm where there's more lights and she starts digging into his skin to grab at something cut to her confronting bernard in his office showing him what is a satellite transmitter and she explains that someone was using the stray to transmit classified trade secrets or something out of the park so the biggest thing that Westworld has to worry about. Like, the worst thing that could happen to Westworld, you know, minus a complete revolt, which is oncoming and and yay, is their intellectual property being stolen by somebody so they can make their own version of Westworld and then Westworld becomes valueless. That was mentioned, I think, in the first or second episode. And it seems, it's pretty obvious. Like, you know... Um, that they have all the employees at a place where they don't rotate a lot and they have them very secluded for a reason. That intellectual property is the entire value of the park, a place that, as we've learned earlier from Logan, is hemorrhaging money. So the the thing that they have to worry about the most right now, the board and Teresa and quality management and Dr. Robert Ford even, who's doing his own little thing, but you know they'll take it away from him if it doesn't make any money anymore and the idea for it slash code for it gets stolen so somebody somewhere else can make an even better version of it maybe one set in westeros or something you know yeah or roman world or future world even but that worst case scenario that nightmare in this moment we learn is coming true someone is smuggling data out of the park uh, Elsie says Orion's belt does have three. Uh, you know, he's been drawing a target. He's, he is there through him. Data is leaving this place and going somewhere else. Someone is perpetrating a fraud and trying to steal our shit, Bernard. And if it's embedded in one of the host's arms, then it's got to be somebody on like the corporate side of this. I don't think this is a guest doing this. This is an inside job. Yeah, I assume it's somebody that we've already met. Yeah, some 
uh, technician or maybe Lee Sizemore. He's mad at Dr. Robert Ford for never letting him do his thing. So he is a mole for somebody else. Perhaps that would be something that he'd do because we haven't seen him for like two episodes. And then he might just come back and be like, it was me all along. Um, or Teresa or Bernard, if he's not a robot, who knows? So many questions, so little details that we've learned. I, I, I say over and over again that because of the pace of this show, I don't know how long it's going to go. But you do realize slash forget how many questions are posed every week. And a few of them were even answered this week. But granted, as we always say every week, even more came up. The main character trio and the confederados are having a nice time in the brothel. There's a lot of crazy shit going on in the background. Yeah, it's a straight up porno in the background. The producers of Game of Thrones are like, geez, man, taking it too far. Yeah, You guys are out there, you know? The Confederado captain offers them a position in their ranks, which Logan happily accepts, but William refuses. This causes a huge argument between Logan and William. They argue about each other's morality, and Logan really cuts deep. He's like, you know, William, the only reason I promoted you to executive vice president of our company is because I know that you're a completely non-threatening person, and that's probably what my sister likes about you also. And William goes like he's going to beat the shit out of him, but stops the last second when he notices Dolores is gone. So we basically see the falling out of Logan and William here. Uh, They finally come to actual physical violence where William pushes Logan up against the wall, doesn't finish the job, which Logan's like, of course. We also learn what uh, the name of what William's job is. It's like an EVP position. It's like perennial management or something to that effect. Uh, it kind of sounds like he's in a, a venture capitalist group of something to, or something to that effect. But Logan is definitely his boss. And then Logan picked him because he's the non-threatening guy who won't ruin anything, which is a very ex machina. Didn't you kind of feel that? That's true. And I just felt so bad for William because he's totally getting dressed down and told how it is and you get the feeling that Logan is being 100% correct and then William after attacking him you know after the fallout between him and who we can't assume was his best friend in Logan it was just like a guy who he works with and gave him a promotion because of a power trip that he wanted and is you know going to be the brother-in-law but you know their falling out has just occurred and then William turns around and is like, oh, where Dolores, though? Dolores is wandering the halls of the brothel. Whoa, dong watch. Dick goes to two. two. Dick number two. Mm. You know, I don't want everyone to, to... There was a guy on the Twitters this week that was like, love the show, guys. But the dong talk, I don't want to hear any of it. What can we say? Dude hates dongs. Dude hates dongs. Whatever, dude. Our response, Dong Watch 2016 is ongoing. And we do not apologize for that. We are up to two dongs, my friend. Take it up with HBO. If if they weren't so shy about dongs, we wouldn't point out how few dongs there were. We got Merkins. We got dongs. The world's on our side. We prevail. Dolores encounters a fortune teller who shows her an image of the maze. And then trans- oh, good. That just out of nowhere. Good thing that fortune teller was there. And then she transforms into a copy of Dolores. Dolores hallucinates about seeing a loose thread poking out of her arm and then pulling on it to open up the skin of her body. She wakes from that illusion, runs away, and outside the brothel she finds that Lawrence is filling up Slim's body with nitroglycerin. Slim is becoming a main character once more, and also a bomb. The witch's hut thing kind of fell out of place. It felt like, like, just like the exact thing that needed to happen. It just kind of fell into Dolores's lap. She's pulling the thing out of her arm a lot like the tracker that was just pulled out of the woodcutter's arm. But to her, it was just a hallucination. Although I guess you know now she knows it exists. Slashes in there. She hasn't cut herself open yet. But you know Maeve has. So what's stopping Dolores from doing so? And then you know she learns during all of this an even worse fact. During uh, within her fake quest. Lars, the ringleader, is going to dick them all over. She runs back to William and warns him that if the Confederados find out about the nitroglycerin, they're going to be pissed and kill them. 
At first, William doesn't really care. He's pretty disillusioned with the whole park. He's like, you know, this whole place just epitomizes everything I don't like about humanity. It's just sexy, dirty sex violence. But then Dolores begs him for his help and kisses him. Manipulates him through kissing him and begging him for his help. It all feels like manipulation. It all feels like Dolores sees this as the next thing. It's the next way to get farther away from Sweetwater. We're getting on a train or wherever we're going and we're getting farther away. William is like, nah, it's just not for me. And Dolores is like, you know, I bet if I kiss him, he'll just do it. Outside, the Confederados are playing catch with the nitroglycerin because they're a couple of winners. Hilarious. Probably why they lost the war. One of the jars of nitroglycerin breaks on the ground, and the Confederados like, hey, shouldn't we all be dead? What's up with this? And We're immediately- not dead, so this is the worst case scenario, a second worst case scenario. One is us being dead right now, but thankfully we're not, and also you're a dick because we're not dead. They start to beat the shit out of Logan. Like, wow, paying $40,000 a day to get your ass kicked. But, I mean, he was the one who said, you know, the farther you get away from Sweetwater, the more beaten up you get. They're not going to kill you, but they're going to beat the crap out of you because Pariah is a far away place, Logan. You said those words yourself. Sad for you. William sees this happening, meets eyes with Logan. Logan's like, help me. And William's like, nah. Nah, nah, I'm cool. You uh, were mean to me recently. Remember that? Karma, bitch. And Logan gets a look in his eyes like, oh, you're going to get it, William. Oh, shit, buddy. When we see each other next, there are going to be what I would like to call comeuppets. William and Dolores are cornered by the other confederados. William takes one out, but then is captured by the other ones. And then he is saved by Dolores, who shoots them all dead with deadly accuracy. And William's amazed. Yeah, they didn't know it was high noon. Uh, They didn't even know her alt was up, but it was. With no cover whatsoever, she took out, you know, four criminals right by herself. It all went in slow motion like she was Neo in the Matrix, because she is. And then she says a line that I hated, James. She says, uh, I imagined, uh, William's like, how did you do that? What did you do that made that uh, possible for you, Dolores, the, the one Neo, definitely? And then she said, I imagined a story where I didn't have to be the damsel. I was like, wow, right on the nose. Okay, gotcha. Evan Rachel Wood should get an Emmy. She is doing an amazing job, and everything coming out of her mouth till that moment was really, really great. And that felt a lot like the line from last time where the person talking to Ashley Stubbs in the last episode just had a bad acting moment with a bad line. This one, I imagined a story I didn't have to be a damsel. To me, felt like bad writing, good acting. Yeah, that was a bit of a funny line. It's like, yeah, I imagined myself as a different character archetype. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we get it. She's just shot everybody. You don't have to add a... It feels like too much. After she says that, though, her demeanor totally hardens for the rest of the episode and she turns more into a badass she holsters her gun like that scene in the trailer and you know we realize the context of it now but because her posture and her face and her movements changed so much from the other ways she'd been acting so far when you and i did our trailer recap we misidentified her as armstice Yeah, exactly. She's, like, so badass now that she actually comes off as the character who's supposed to be the girl badass character. So, but, I mean, you can see she goes from manipulating uh, William, except for, like, at the end, she kind of tells him the truth where she, and again, and William's just like, she's special. And I'm sure that special thing is not just her being sentient, and then that's not a bad thing at all. The, just William, how optimistic is he? Optimistic enough to kill everybody eventually, probably. And then Dolores is like, nothing else matters. Now it's time to get on the train. The point of all of this. Let's get out of here. Cool. Yeah, they jump onto the train that's headed to the front and inside they encounter Lawrence with Slim's bomb coffin. They have kind of a standoff, but Dolores points her gun at the coffin and is like, I win. And Lawrence hmm. gives up his gun. Wow, she's just smarter than everybody and now has like a gun and is full on business. Dolores is Neo if Neo like 
knew what he wanted from the beginning. So scarier. On Slim's coffin, Dolores sees the symbol for the maze and says to nobody, or says to Arnold, I'm coming. Yeah, Lawrence tells them the friends of his call him Lawrence, so that's where we know that whatever Alonzo or Eliza's name is, this is Lawrence, our guy, and it brings up again the timelines debate because when is this and how did all of that happen and so on and so forth. These these feeling different timelines are very, very hard to keep track of if they are different, which I feel like some of them have to be. And then the maze on the casket. Dolores is getting closer by manipulating everybody around her, assumably still talking to Arnold. She's sentient 100% of the time and says... She's coming. She's doing what Bernard asked her to do. What Bernard, you know, commanded her to do, perhaps? The man in black and Teddy arrive at a frontier tavern. They sit to drink when who should join them but Robert Ford. Oh, shit. The man in black instantly recognizes him, but Teddy does not. He sits down to drink with them. And the man in black very pointedly asks, like, so am I close? Am I close to what I want? And Ford very evasively like, oh, what's that? What are you looking for? I don't know. Yeah, Ford is very evasive this entire time. He doesn't give up any information. He just keeps asking. Every time a question is asked of him, he keeps being like, well, I don't know. What uh, what are you looking for? But, you know, when when the man in black sees him, he recognizes him immediately. Which brings up the question, like, Logan said earlier, nobody knows who owns this park. Why does the Man in Black know? Assumably because the Man in Black is the most powerful man on Earth, minus maybe Dr. Robert Ford. And uh, who even knows if they're on Earth? But when, you know, they're in his world, the Man in Black, who is always the most powerful man on Earth, is no longer. He's only the second behind Dr. Robert Ford, who is God in this moment. He says, this is a rare honor. Teddy, do you know who this is? Teddy's like, nah. And then he says, everything good that's ever happened and everything rotten that's ever happened to you, Teddy, this is the man you have to thank. And then, yeah, he asks if he's getting any closer to what he's looking for. And then Teddy's like, I'm looking for Wyatt. And Ford's like, dude, shut up. Don't interrupt us. We're having a real one-on-one. Ed Harris and Anthony Hopkins are having a one-on-one conversation. Can James Marsden shut the crap up for just a second? We're not talking to you. And then the man in black says, you know, to Dr. Robert Ford kind of happy about it kind of patting himself on the back saying that this world deserved a villain and that he thinks his contribution is an important one right and he reckons that maybe dr robert ford created wyatt so that the park would have a main bad guy host and it seems like the man in black is like taking credit for that a little bit he's like oh i see what you did there you're a fan of my work huh yeah and he's also he kind of thinks that he's at level 200 and that Robert has been waiting for all this time to add 201. It's like basically when there's an update in World of Warcraft and they add 10 more levels and you're like, I was just the highest level, but not anymore. I got to get I got to get back up. That's what the man in black now has because Dr. Robert Ford, you know, added something for him. It was obviously for him. Dr. Robert Ford doesn't just go and talk to every witch person in the park actually Stubbs knows he's in the park so everybody knows he's in the park including dr robert ford enough where he went and just went to go see him and the man in black asks him straight up you know have you finally made me a worthy adversary someone to stop me from finding the center of the maze so dr robert ford knows what the maze is the man in black knows what the maze is dr robert ford knows the man in black is trying to get to the center of the maze and has added something to the park to try to put something more in the way of him and the center of it so he doesn't want him to get to the center of the maze so he's protecting that for some reason is he protecting it from the man in black dolores is he trying to get dolores there is bernard why does bernard want him to get there when dr robert ford doesn't want the man in black to get there and i could keep like talking at that pace about questions that that moment just brought up for a long time talking to teddy the man in black reveals that the outside world is kind of like a paradise People have everything they need and everything provided for them, which is why they crave the thrill and the adventure of the park. 
he basically says everybody outside is soft and shitty. I was kind of picturing how people looked in Wally and how everything went bad in, in Wally and everything was just uh, they just all drank uh, their meals and all sat in floating wheelchairs. But everyone comes here to actually feel something because everything outside has been curated to be uh, pleasure centers. So I feel like this is a nod to something like Infinite Jest, the David Foster Wallace book, where it's about how everything over time is being created to give people pleasure and more personal pleasure more and more over time to the fact to the point where people will never leave their houses because every piece of pleasure they need will just be right at their fingertips and then over time in David Foster Wallace's world and Infinite Jest's world his posit is that that will lead to the end of humanity that will be the end of us because we won't ever we won't need pleasure from other people ever again so we just won't you know make any new people and we'll all die and that's a really really long way of saying that as dr robert ford and the man in black stare at each other the man in black is saying that is what the world has become and you and me are rising above it but it's still you v me buddy the man in black brandishes his big knife and says, I wonder what I would find if I cut you open. And as soon as he kind of points it threateningly at Ford, Teddy grabs the knife and smacks it into the table. Yeah, Teddy is not beaten up no more, is he? Doesn't matter how beaten up Teddy is by Wyatt and how uh, much blood was put back in his system by the man in black. In that moment, when someone brandishes a weapon in front of Dr. Robert Ford, all the robots around him are ready to fucking go, dude. Yeah, I thought that was really cool that even though Teddy Flood doesn't personally recognize Dr. Robert Ford, apparently it's embedded in their programming to protect him no matter what and treat him like God. Oh yeah, you you gotta protect God, man. Everybody is the secret service and Dr. Robert Ford is the president when they're inside Westworld. The Men in Black straight up asks Ford if he will try to stop him from trying to get to the maze and Ford says no. Yeah, Ford says if you're looking for the moral of the story... You can just ask me, which is basically like, if you're looking for the end game, why don't you just ask me what it is? Which the Man in Black doesn't want to, obviously. The Man in Black is has everything in this world. He wants to figure this out for himself. That's the point. He doesn't want to use cheat codes and ask Dr. Robert Ford to just tell him. And then the Man in Black kind of comes back with some shade to Dr. Robert Ford. He was like, if I was going to ask what this place was all about, I wouldn't ask you. I would ask the man who I should have actually asked, but he died 35 years ago. Oh, burn. With that, Ford stands to go, but as he's leaving, he says some magic words to Teddy, which seem to reset him back to default. As he's about to go... He also does mention, though, or at least the man in black mentions, that Arnold almost took this world with him as he went. So his suicide was almost a uh, a destruction of this whole world. We just found out from that. And then the man in black says, but he didn't, thanks to me. The man in black is taking credit for Arnold not destroying the world. Isn't what I don't. I don't know. That there's a bunch of stuff that is is that could come from that. Has the man in black been here for 35 years? Wouldn't you get yeah. bored? <laughs> I mean, exactly. He really is bored until, you know, this new Wyatt stuff and this new this new stuff has been added. You know, the more levels have been added. But also, the man in black in this uh in the story he just told was the reason that the cataclysm, the reason that the critical failure was stopped in the first place. So, like, does Dr. Robert Ford owe the man in black something for saving his world, perhaps? And the Dr. Robert Ford, maybe 35 later is, 35 years later, is like, I don't know, you shit. Also, I just did the math real quick, and if you wanted to stay in the park for 35 years, it would cost you $511 million. And if you had the amount of money that Bill Gates does, that would be nothing. Back in the lab, Felix is still trying to repair that bird, and it seems like he succeeds this time. It starts flying around, and he's really happy. He's watching it fly around when it lands on Maeve's finger, because she stood up and is awake. To Felix's complete horror, 
And Maeve looks really calm. And she says, hey, Felix, it's time for me and you to have a little private chat. Oh, boy. And, and that's how our episode ends. It f- Maeve is, it feels like not as sentient as Dolores is. Dolores has the ability to shoot people and is a killing machine if she chooses to be. Maeve, it feels like, is a few days behind Dolores. But enough where she woke up when she wanted to. She It was kind of like she was waiting for Felix to get there to lock him in and perhaps use him, manipulate the human beings around them like Dolores is. And, you know, she's very naked and then is with the bird a la like uh, Bastion and Overwatch almost. If anybody knows what that means. And... She has to talk to Felix about what's about to happen to her. And this is the part of the podcast, James, where I ask you, did you watch the thing that was like, here's what's happening next time? Nope, never do. (laughs) Okay, here's the part of this podcast where I ruin that for you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Teddy and the Men in Black are looking for the maze. They say that's all that matters. Uh, Maeve is 100% there and... With clothes on, like a black, black clothing that we've never seen her in, in the halls of the underground at the Delos Westworld, whatever, with like people with guns behind her, like she's leading a militia, which I'm not sure how she got. That would be a really quick turnaround if Maeve was just, you know, turns into the leader of the outside movement. We see Clementine Pennyfeather, best name, who was not in this episode, break some necks, dude. We see Dolores is uh, Dolores is here, and she's ready to rumble. And then Maeve is loose with basically an army behind her, and it ha- that, which I was like, it has to be a dream, right? She can't just have she couldn't like have just found people and armed them, but I bet she could have found robots and armed them. Her and Peter Abernathy one should like form a militia because he has background in Shakespeare, and I want to hear him talk like about it again. Oh, and then at the end, um. Dr. Robert Ford is mad about something. I'm sure we'll figure out what. I want to do some tweets that we got, but first I want to propose my own crazy theory. Do you have any you're working on yourself? Oh, man. I mean, I'm working on a few of them, but the thing about it is I think it all ties back to how many timelines are we watching at any given moment? I do not think there are enough indicators and or clues right now to tell exactly what timeline we're on and when. And I think that will be told to us eventually. But until we figure that out, uh, it's hard to make any actual conjecture theories for me that make sense because I don't even know when we're watching. All I care about now is that I think either way, I think the man in black is going to die at the end of this, and I think his death is going to be a positive for him and a negative for Ford. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a real possibility. So the theory I've been working on, and it's basically come out of the details that were revealed in this show, I don't know whether or not Dr. Robert Ford is a host or not. It's kind of irrelevant to this theory, whether he he could be or he couldn't be, but I think he definitely stole the park from Arnold and he was involved in Arnold's death. Arnold's death was no accident. Dr. Albert Ford manipulated it behind the scenes. He's he's a brilliant engineer and a brilliant park runner guy. But he's not the founder of Westworld. He's not Walt Disney. He killed Walt Disney so that he could take his place and steal from him this awesome thing he created. Right, which the man in black kind of indicates when he said, you know, if I wanted to ask the creator of this park a question, uh, I can't. He's been dead for 35 years when he was throwing shade at Dr. Robert Ford, kind of implying that you're a has-been who has been, you know, making it up the last 35 years, but you're not God. God is dead, and you're a false god. So yeah, what made Dr. Robert Ford a false god in the man in black's eyes and what did it have to do with Arnold? And it it kind of felt like, you know, 35 years ago, the Man in Black and Dr. Robert Ford came at to blows then when the Man in Black stopped 
Arnold's thing from destroying the park, you know, what led to Dr. Robert Ford taking over the Man in Black basically helped either Dr. Robert Ford or whomever when he saved the park, assumably, or at least he said so. So, like, ah, I don't know. I mean, it all definitely has to do with each other, and Dr. Robert Ford's hands are definitely not clean. Mm. I just want to pull up the people uh, who said nice things about us, because I want to shout them all out at once. So many people said so many nice things. Even the people who said not nice things were, like, kind of nice about it. So, our Twitter follower, Lauren, at VeryLovelyLJ... Uh, tweeted us something really funny. She said, uh, you know, disconcerting, unsettling, unnerving, disturbing, troubling, upsetting, worrying, alarming, distracting, off-putting. She did the work for me, and she got all <laughs> the synonyms of disconcerting. So, bravo, Lauren. Thank yeah, you now you have much. no excuse, all right? <laughs> I really, This show is the word of the day. Troubling. And next week will be upsetting. Thanks, Lauren. We also got some interesting theories. Uh, that same Twitter handle... Uh, very lovely LJ said, Elsie is a robot too. She was affected by the reveries. That's why she kissed Clementine. Hmm, interesting. If Elsie is a robot, maybe that's why she's so concerned with keeping their intellectual property secure. Maybe that's been programmed into her. I don't want Elsie to be a robot. She's one of my favorite characters because she says what's on her mind and she is getting to the bottom of a mystery because she just wants to. I want her to be... I don't want the Reddit post that called her a discount Ellen Page to be right. I want her to just be a a warrior in a tiny lady's body searching for justice and not letting the world end. But, you know, she could be a robot. I just hope she's not. Andre Adams at Adre33 said, I think Logan gets it next week. Great podcast, guys. Thank you, Andre, very much. I thought Logan was going to get it this week, too, just because of the name of the of the episode and all. It turns out he did get it, quote-unquote. He got beaten up, but he didn't die. A, a few people were calling for Logan to die this week, and he did not. At Mr. Cracknell said, got a feeling we're seeing two timelines, and Logan is actually the man in black. So that that's that'd be worst case scenario for you, huh? If if we have two timelines, so I I definitely think we are watching multiple timelines. I do not how, know how much that will inform the story. I'm hoping that it informs it a little, but not a lot. I I want it to be based more so on how good these characters are, and not just the gimmick of watching multiple timelines. But if Logan turns out to be the Man in Black, and I just, I don't know. I don't want that either. I, I want them to be on the same timeline as well. I feel like it might be based off of just my cynical view of how I really love Game of Thrones because we know when everything is happening. And that is a huge part of the show is that we just don't know when things are going on. And I want that to be a good part of the show. But I have a feeling that if this show goes badly and if it goes off the deep end, it will be because the timelines thing is annoyingly difficult to understand. We got another uh, man, man in black theory from Dean Wallman at D wall M. He says the gunslinger is Arnold and the gunslinger is the head of the global megacorp, which owns Westworld. So two crazy theories. A lot of people think the man in black is one of the other characters in a separate timeline. And then this guy also brought up that maybe the man in black is the CEO of Delos and maybe he's retired. I'm just now I'm branching off from his theory. Maybe he's retired to Westworld or something. I I, I don't think he's retired. I, uh, I He indicated before that he's only on vacation and that he still runs this foundation for this other thing. Um, he might be the guy who the board sent in. I think that's more likely than than anybody being anybody. So the two big questions we have are what timeline are we on at any given moment? And is this guy also this guy? We just don't know it because it's on different timelines. We, and you can say that about like three different characters and it's all supposed to be vague and up in the air and it's here for fodder for this moment right now where we're talking about it and in that same vein we got a tweet just tonight from at johnny decali double timeline question mark question mark so yeah as much as exactly. you hate it ryan they people seem to want the double timeline 
I don't think they want the double timeline. I just think they are picking up like I am. I think now that it, it there just has to be at least more than one. There would be it would be more surprising if it was only one timeline. Now, wouldn't you say? That's possible since that's what everyone's assuming. But also, here's what I noticed about the double timeline, and maybe people can send me a message if you think this is wrong. So, everyone got new backstories and stuff. Teddy Flood taught Dolores how to shoot. And then he goes off on his quest and encounters the man in black. She goes off on her quest and encounters Logan and William. Doesn't that kind of shoot the two timeline theories in the foot? Because they both departed from the same point and met up with each of those different characters. Just as Dr. Robert Ford in like the timeline of the park employees implemented this new Wyatt storyline. I feel like Wyatt is the crux that connects all of these three major uh, plot lines and kind of dismantles this two timeline theory. No? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I it's it, the question is, is William and Logan in the same uh, vicinity as the man in black while all of this is going on and I think the answer is it's probably not the exact same timeline it's probably not simultaneous which is that it's that disjointed nature that brings up these questions but it's probably not you know 35 years apart and we're probably not we are probably not watching the critical failure before the critical failure at this moment I hope I think I hope I think if people keep sending us theories and tweets like this, maybe we could do like a bonus all theories episode sometime because I think this is one of the more fun parts of being a Westworld fan is that this community is bouncing all these ideas off each other and we're really getting a lot of awesome contributions from you guys. So keep it up. Exactly. And another fun part is that we are not in the part of the year where Game of Thrones airs. We are not in the the you know the spring where it's not really going up against a whole lot. Westworld is going up against the NFL, it's going up against The Walking Dead. It's going up against some shows that are real heavy hitters and shows that have like huge storylines happening a la The Walking Dead and it's still doing a good job and HBO is probably going to give it a second season. So, I it just speaks to what this show is and what it can be. And then I just want to say a quick thanks to everyone who just tweeted us messages of support. At Hakey Tweets, at Andy Sachs, at Silva Aubrey, at Dean Wallman, and then uh, I think we already mentioned at Lovely LJ. Thanks, guys, uh, for your messages of support. It really means a lot to us. You know, we're doing this for you guys. We're, we're by fans and for fans. Yeah, all that stuff. All right, guys, keep those tweets coming, your crazy theories, your messages of support. We really appreciate it, and we'll read them out here on the show. You can email me, thewestworldpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at WestworldRyan. You can find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or a lot of the different podcast apps. If you're just listening, that means a lot to us, and we're really happy for that. If you want to go the extra mile, follow us on Twitter. Do all the things that helps us as a community grow. It'll be dope. <laughs> Add us a nice review on iTunes. That'll help other people find us. Yeah. And join us next week when we talk about Season 1, Episode 6 of Westworld, The Adversary. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. Brown, <laughs> brown,